This is Father Reed Henserling presenting to you on a weekly basis the Daily Lectionary. And we are celebrating this coming week, the 10th Sunday after Pentecost. And we've got three sets of scriptures that we're going to be looking at that I'll be commenting on in the next 20 to 25 minutes. Of course, the idea is that you are reading these scriptures for the week, and I'm giving you some ideas to think about, to ponder about, to reflect about, to pray about, perhaps, and maybe even learn from. We're going to be looking at an Old Testament reading from Judges, and we're going to look at Judges 11 on Sunday through Judges 16 on Saturday. We'll be looking at the book of Acts. Now, we're going to be in the book of Acts for a while. Acts chapter 5, 12 through Acts chapter 7, 43. So, we will be looking at Acts Monday through Saturday. And finally, the Gospel of John. We'll be in the Gospel of John for some time also. We'll start in the third chapter, verse 1 going all the way to the fifth chapter, verse 18. So in the book of Judges, remember, Judges follows Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books called the Pentateuch. The sixth book is Joshua, and we looked at Joshua in the last several weeks. And the idea behind Joshua is that the Israelites are, are very near the promised land. They are east of the promised land, and they're getting ready to go west to take the promised land, the land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers. Now, the key here is that there are people present in these lands, and they need to be driven out. And Joshua is the one that succeeds Moses this is the end of Deuteronomy. And Joshua is set up by Moses, confirmed by God, to lead the people. Joshua is very successful, and the people of Israel begin to inhabit the land. And in Judges, we see people that are raised up. Go back and look at Judges chapter 2. People that are raised up by God to deliver and help the people in times of crisis. Sadly, many times, oftentimes, the people do not do what God says. They get themselves in trouble. They sin against the Lord. And as a result, God has to rescue them. Why does he have to rescue them? Because if he doesn't, the people are going to be defeated and there's not going to be any Israelite nation that has the land that God promised so that eventually the Messiah, Jesus Christ, New Testament, will come and save his people from their sins. So this group of people, the Israelites, need to be preserved by God. And so what we have in the Old Testament is a story of their journey. In chapter 12, 11 and 12, we have several other judges that were raised up, you may read their stories. Jephthah was a mighty warrior, and the exploits of Jephthah are recounted for us in 11 and 12. And then in 13, we have the very famous Samson. Yes. Where is Samson in the Bible? Well, Samson is in the book of Judges, and here's what the first verse says. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Because of their evil actions, the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines who ruled over them for 40 years. So that there was a relationship between the wrongdoing of the Israelites and their subjection by a foreign power. Now, how was God going to deliver them from the Philistines and their 40-year reign? Look at the end of verse 5. This is the boy that is a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So what God does is he raises up a person set apart from birth to save his people. Now, one of my favorite series of stories in the Bible is the book of Judges in 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, which takes us all the way to the end of the chapters, uh, to the end of the week, which is Saturday. And it tells the story of Samson. They are delightful. Please read them if you've not done so. Please think about them. Samson was a very enigmatic character. He did some things right. He did many things wrong. He was a very, very flawed leader. And in the end, at the end, God used him in a very powerful way. Now, some of the famous ideas uh, behind Samson... uh, are his tremendous strength when the spirit of the lord came to him the spirit of the lord came in power he could not do anything himself but the spirit of the lord helped him the strength was in his hair the spirit of the lord it says in several places in 13 and 14 of judges came down him in power and samuel's vengeance on the philistines can be seen in the 15th chapter again we find In verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord came with him on power. Remember that famous jawbone of a donkey. He grabs it, he strikes down a thousand men. So the Spirit of God came upon him. He was able to do miraculous things in saving and protecting his people and destroying the enemy. The famous 16th chapter has to do with Samson and Delilah. Samson and Delilah. And Samson and Delilah is a wonderful story because it shows us the weakness of Samson. And he had, as I said earlier, profound weaknesses. And he was playing with Delilah because she kept asking him, "How do you, where's, where's your power come from? Where's your power come from? And he was making stuff up, but finally he told her that the strength is in my hair. Verse 17. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. And so that finally was the right answer. And so some men came and got him. And we will see when we meet next time what happens to Samson when his hair is shaved?
And so in Judges, we have Jephthah, we have a few more Judges, we have the story of Samson, read it, it's a beautiful story, tells you a lot about leadership, shows you a lot about what not to do. Samson was, again, a very flawed person, but God uses flawed people. God uses people for his purposes and plans. And the only way, again, that Samson was able to do anything is by the power of God. Now, when he did not do something according to the power of God, they had lots of problems. Now, remember in Acts, we are dealing with the beginning of the church. We have had the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, We have had the ascension of Jesus that we see at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. And then we had the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And we find that in chapter 2. And Peter gets up and has this extraordinary pronouncement. And over 3,000, the Bible says, were saved. Now then we go to chapter 3 where we start today chapter 3 we have this tremendous healing and chapter 4 we have this sharing of Peter with the Sanhedrin and what he has done and how he's going to obey God over man we looked at that last week in chapter 5 we saw last week Ananias and Sapphira who were both killed because they were not faithful to the Lord. And then we begin with Acts chapter 5, 12 to 26, and about the healing that the Lord continued. Remember, Jesus' ministry had tremendous amounts of healing. And that that healing continued in the apostles' ministry. And as the Holy Spirit came down upon them, he anointed and blessed them so that they can do healing for others too. We also see that the apostles were persecuted, so this life was not easy in any other way. Again, Peter stands up and speaks, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand, this is 531, as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So once again, he's testifying, Peter is, to the power of God, to the mercy of God, to the presence of God in his life, and what the Holy Spirit was doing in their midst. In chapter 6, we find the choosing of the seven. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and the wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So what happened is the disciples got together and they could not minister the Word and prayer because they were so busy doing other things. And so they said, get seven people who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility of them, uh, to them. We'll turn it over to them. And they presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now Stephen, 
the famous person in chapter 7, Stephen was part of that group. And Stephen has this extraordinary teaching in chapter 7 regarding Israel. And it's a wonderful history of Israel. Hitting the high points and sharing the word of the Lord with them and interpreting that as he faced the the Sanhedrin. As Stephen faced the Sanhedrin. And we see this in a series of readings on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And so we conclude on Saturday with verse 43. And we'll probably almost surely pick that up next week. What happens to Stephen? Now the reason I like chapter 7, it gives us a nice overview of the Old Testament from a New Testament perspective. So, again, in chapter 2, we have the coming of the Spirit. We have the preaching of Peter. And 3,000 get saved. In chapter 3, we have this incredible healing of this person who could not walk. And Peter and John are present and say, in the name of Jesus, walk. He walks. And the Jewish leaders are very upset by that. And that's what chapters 4 and 5 are about. In chapter 6, we have the choosing of the seven. And many people believe the beginning of the diaconal ministry, where they have a very important obligation to serve people and to serve others. And then we have Stephen, and he has his whole chapter to himself. And we'll finish that next week when we meet again. In John's Gospel chapter 3 we have the great meaning meeting of Nicodemus and Jesus very very famous why is it famous well and this can be found in on Monday John 3 1 to 21 we have the most famous verse and verse in the Bible John 3 16 God so loved the world that gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life that's number one number two We have the idea of being born again. And I know all of you have heard of that term before. Unless a person is born again, Jesus said, they cannot see the kingdom of God. So if a person is not born again, they are not saved. They do not go to heaven. That individual is not with the Lord. So how do you solve this problem? You're born again. What does that mean? It means to be born from above. Does that mean, as Nicodemus says, that I go into my mother's womb? And Nicodemus is a very smart guy who's a Pharisee. No, Jesus says. I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Everyone must be born of the Spirit if they are going to heaven. In order to be born by the Spirit, it takes a supernatural action. It takes an action of God Almighty. God Almighty has to come outside your existence and has to touch your life in a very deep and impactful way. And He has got to do that work. 
In chapter 3, in the second half, we have John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 3, 30. He must become greater, I must become less. (coughs) Jesus has to get better, bigger, better, more popular, more important, more significant. And you and I have to be less. So just imagine Jesus rising and you declining and I decline. Whoever believes in the Son of God, he says at the end of chapter 3, has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So if you believe in the Son, you have eternal life. But if you reject the Son, you will not see life. So we're all about accepting the Son believing in the Son, saying yes to the Son. And the next day on Wednesday, we're looking at the Samaritan woman. And actually, we have three days with chapter 4 because it's quite long. The famous water at the well, Jesus asks her for a drink. If you knew the gift of God, verse 10, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He says very poignantly in verse 13, Everyone who drinks this water will never be thirst again, thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. The water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's what Jesus is able to do. This is the great promise of the gospel. I've got this. Jesus has extraordinary insight, extraordinary skill, extraordinary pastoral sensitivity to this woman. And so, at the end... The disciples rejoin them. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Verse 34. What a beautiful line. What a beautiful line. Many Samaritans then believed. And then, on Friday, we celebrate the fact that Jesus heals the official's son. He heals the son. And another miracle of the Lord. Now, the miracles in John are not the same as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The synoptic gospels, they tend to be much more similar. John is showing the people that read this text the signs, the Simeon, the signs of Christ. The things that indicate that he is the Messiah. The things that indicate that he is the Lord. And so he shows them by the signs that he does and the wisdom that he has. So you and I want to receive those signs. You and I want to say yes to that. We end up on Saturday in 5, 1 to 18. I love 5, 1 to 18. And he's talking about the healing of the person in the pool, which is a very, very interesting healing and a very interesting story. It's about an invalid who's been an invalid for 38 years And he'd been sitting there and coming back and forth for 38. He'd been an invalid for 38 years. 
Jesus saw him lying there. Do you want to get well? I have no one to help me in. I need somebody to help me. Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. He picked up his mat. He walked. Pick up your mat and walk. Jesus miraculously healed him and the man wasn't even looking for him. Jesus did a miracle with him and for him and the man was really not very grateful. So he meets Jesus a little bit later after he leaves him. Later, Jesus found him at the temple, verse 14. See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews, Jesus made him well. I wonder what happened to that man. The Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, This is a love, chapter 5. And we end in 18, and then we'll pick it up next week. My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, verse 18, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he even called God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus has this amazing relationship with his father with God and his desire is to do what he asked him to do and let nothing get in the way of that and so as you're reading these scriptures in John in Acts and in Judges Samuel Peter John and Jesus and the official son and the healing at the pool and Nicodemus the great Nicodemus Jephthah in Judges Stephen, the great Stephen in chapter 7 of Acts. The question is, what is the Lord saying to you? How is he leading you? How is he guiding you? How is he working in your life? And so as you read these scriptures, you want to meditate and think about how God is acting in you. Lord God, bless your people today. Bless their work in Christ. May they continue to love you and serve you and honor you. And bless us as we read the Holy Scriptures together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week of reading and prayer and study, meditation, pondering, reflection. And we will see you next week when we celebrate the 11th Sunday after Pentecost. God bless you.